0: And now hear God's holy word from Genesis chapter 32. We are uh, taking a short break from our Second Samuel study through Advent and Christmas and Epiphany. But now hear God's holy word from Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Yahweh, who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you've shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And then picking up over in verse 22. And he arose that night, this is Jacob, he arose that night and took his two wives, his two fa- female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, "'Let me go, for the day breaks.' But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for all the ways that you come to us that we celebrate in this season of Advent. And we ask that today as you come to us, through your word draw near to us by your holy spirit and may we behold the things that we need to see in your law we pray this in jesus name amen. amen i think i've probably told you before that i grew up in a home where both of my parents worked outside the home for the majority of my years growing up my parents not only worked outside the home but they both worked shift work which meant that there were lots of evenings and saturdays and sunday afternoons that my sister and i were home Alone, then my parents weren't home. This required me and my sister to help out as much as we could with the with the upkeep of the house. We had to take care of the dishes and the laundry and cleaning and and keeping things going. And uh, every day we had a list of things that had to be done before mom or dad got home from work. That was the deadline. So you have your list of things, and it, it was all. It was not an impossible list. These were all things that. We were age-appropriate, things we could do at various levels of our, of our skill. And we had plenty of time. We always had plenty of time to get everything done. Nothing was outside of our skill set or capability. But as kids are known to do, we didn't work first and then goof off. No, 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 no. We always goofed off first until the last possible minute. And then engaged in a frenzy of activity trying to pull everything together and get everything done before mom or dad pulled up the driveway. Now, we generally knew when to expect them home from work. And then we would work back from there, calculating to the last minute at what minute we should get busy, and then and then even then we hardly ever started on time, resulting in an even more ruckus as we yelled at each other and ran around like crazy trying to get everything wrapped up just in time, you know, to grab a magazine and flop on the couch, breathless, acting like we were the responsible kids. We weren't, as if we had, you know, done this work hours ago when uh, we hadn't. Now, on occasion, as you can imagine, mom or dad would come home early. Uh, Sometimes right into the middle of the madness in the yelling and the throwing things and getting everything done. Sometimes they came home before we even started and then we had a different kind of fury and excitement to deal with at that point. But at no point do I ever remember learning my lesson. The very next day we would wait until the very last minute and then we would go nuts to try to get everything done before my mom and dad got home. Why is it all of us can kind of relate to that? Because at our worst and at our most lazy, when we have work to do and when the deadline seems so far away that we don't really need to worry about it, or if the deadline is fuzzy, when we have the sense that we have all the time in the world and we won't be held accountable anytime soon, why is it that we do not take our duties seriously? It just isn't important to get to it. It isn't important to do it right now. It can wait. But if you see mom's headlights in the driveway, that significantly ramps up your sense of urgency. I'm afraid that, to, to draw a parallel to our, our perspective as a church, particularly in the West, in the United States, I'm afraid that after a century and a half of bad teaching on the on the end times in the church, that we treat the return of Jesus like I treated the return of my parents as a kid. And this manifests itself in two very bad ways. We either have this mindless, panicked, emotional frenzy, which is based on, you know, somebody wrote a book, or somebody saw a sign in the heavens, or somebody, you know, somebody heard, you know, something, and that they put it together with this. And so there's this burst of emotional, mindless, panicked, emotional frenzy, which is impossible to keep up. Year after year after year, it's impossible to keep up generation after generation. That frenzy cannot sustain itself. And so what you see is that the people who were all stirred up by Hal Lindsey in the 70s kind of flamed out and burned out and got very, very burned out in the 80s and 90s. And then, you know, we had a whole different Tim LaHaye crowd who got stirred up in the 90s. And they're uh, flaming out and burning out on that as well. So, So it's impossible to sustain that frenzy. So you either have that or... You have complete complacency. You have this idea that the Lord's not paying attention to what we're doing. He's far off, and he's certainly not coming back at any point to judge us or to set things right. So we have one or the other because we don't know how near the Lord is. The reality is that our Lord Jesus is not down the street... He's not around the corner. He's not away at work. He's not gone with some ambiguous appointment to come back. The Lord Jesus is here today, right now with us in worship. We have entered his presence by the Holy Spirit. We are going to eat with Jesus in just a few minutes. This is Jesus ministering to us by his word. We just had a conversation with Jesus. We prayed. He answered. We spoke the words of his his words, the Psalms, and, and he's responding to us in blessing. See, the Lord Jesus is here with us. He has come to his people. He's not far off. He dwells in us and among us by his spirit. He has united himself to his church. And that means he sees everything and he knows everything. He's never fooled and he's never buffaloed into thinking we're busy when we aren't. We can't pretend that we've been working when we haven't. And on top of this, his kingdom is continually coming. It's breaking in all over the place, growing gradually, but unstoppably, like a mighty tree growing year after year after year, giving shade and rest to the nations and and healing to all the peoples. And on top of all this, his final coming in judgment, his physical coming in judgment is certain. But what this calls for is not panicked hysteria, nor is casual, cavalier complacency in order. What is called for is neither of these, but diligent, faithful, disciplined, sober, joyful living in the service of a very near, very present, and very much reigning King, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Now, today is the first day of... Uh, Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, this is the season of the church year where we stop to reflect on all the ways that the Lord Jesus has come, all the ways that he continues to come to us and meet with us, and all the ways he will come to us in the future. The word Advent is like so many words in uh, uh, liturgical culture. The word Advent is Latin and it just means uh, to come it means arrival and so the theme of the season, the theme of Advent is to remember and sing about and reflect on the day of the Lord. All those days, those times and situations where the Lord visits His people. Now, God is always reigning and has always reigned over His people and over His creation. He doesn't go on vacation. He's never out of communication But there are special times where he makes his presence known in an intensified, concentrated way. There are times where he makes his presence known to his people and to the earth with a greater degree of of intensity, of of intimacy and interaction, where heaven literally touches earth in in these times. God draws near to his people and to the nations. Now, the Bible talks about this as God visiting his people. Or we hear about the day of visitation. What is this? What is this visiting? What is this visitation? Well, it's when God draws near and he makes his presence known through words. He issues commands. He makes promises. He bears his arm and he shows us his mighty works through judgment, through deliverance. He rescues his people and he puts down his enemies. So the word visit is used often in the scriptures to describe this. The prophet Jeremiah uses this word. He cries out in Jeremiah 15. He says, oh Lord, you know, and what he implies there by saying, you know, is all the sufferings that he's just laid out. He says, oh Lord, you know my sufferings. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. What Jeremiah is crying out for is for God to intensify his presence, to make it clear and undeniable. Yes, God, you're always reigning. You're always over me. But I'm asking you to draw near in an intimate and focused way. Visit me. Do something about this, God. Psalm 8 says this, and you're familiar with Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Psalm 65, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. This visitation also is not just a vindication of his name and a rescue from torment, but it's also a way that God feeds and nourishes his people and the earth. God visits the earth to nourish it. God didn't just spin the cosmos into orbit and then step back and watch it go. No, he's constantly visiting his creation with his care and his love. Psalm 106, remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. Oh, visit me with your salvation. We as people of God have all been visited with the salvation of God. He has come to us and he's grabbed us and he says, you're mine. You belong to me. He has visited you and he has visited me and this visitation is our salvation. of course, one more, Zechariah. There are so many. You can look up the word visit or visitation. You can see all of them. But uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, sings at the birth of John. He sings, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Well, see, Jesus isn't born yet, but God has still visited his people. He He has begun the work of redemption that the prophets have spoken of. And now Zechariah sings about this visitation. So if you think about all of God's interactions and the history of God's uh, communication with mankind, it's very easy to remember some big visitations, right? He visited Adam and Eve in the garden. He met them there to walk with them. And then when he found out that they had disobeyed, he visited them in judgment. He visited Noah with salvation and he visited the earth with judgment in the flood. When the Tower of Babel is being constructed, there's that funny phrase, isn't it, where God says among the members of the Godhead, He says, let us go down and check out what they're doing. The people who are building the Tower of Babel think it's this massive thing that reaches up into the heavens, but God says, let us go down and check that out. God visits uh, the people working on that tower, and He visits them with confusion. God visits Abraham and Sarah and makes promises to them. He visits Egypt with destruction and delivers his people. And all these visitations, all of this point to the primary visitation, the principal visitation, when he comes and tabernacles among us as the man Jesus Christ, where he comes and puts down the mighty from their thrones and exalts those of low degree, as we'll sing in just a few minutes. So because he is the God who over and over and over in history, he is a God who visits his people, he is a God who is never far away. He's not a God who's an impersonal concept, a a theory, an apparition of our imagination. He continually makes his presence known to us. He comes near to us to hear us, to answer our prayers, to work in us, to change us, to give us life, to correct us, to defeat our enemies and his enemies, to connect us together in relationships. He comes to shake things up and set things right. And the primary way he does all of this is in worship every Lord's Day. He comes and and manifests His way in lots of ways, but, but primarily in worship. Today, He draws near to us, and we draw near to Him. Today is the day of His visitation. This is the Lord's day. This is the day of the Lord, the great and awful day of judgment, the day of deliverance, the day where God takes us apart, breaks us down, and puts us back together, and He makes the crooked things straight. Today, the Lord's Day, is also not only the day of blessing and deliverance for us, but it's the day of doom for the kingdoms of this world, where they have these vacant, impotent systems of salvation that pale in comparison to the gospel that rings out across the land every time a church is called to worship on this, the Lord's Day. This is a, this is a verdict on all of the impotent salvation systems in the world Today, we declare uh, God's judgment against all the idols. We proclaim the eternality of the kingdom of Christ. We manifest his kingdom, and the Lord visits with his people on this day. On this day, in worship, God's will is done on earth just as it is in heaven, right? We we can't say that about Tuesday afternoon, ordinarily, but we can say that about Sunday morning that today God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens in heaven? Well, the angels are constantly crying out to him and worshiping him and, and surrounding him with praise. Well, that happens on earth on the Lord's Day, which is why every Lord's Day, unless you're sick or just gave birth or your back's out and you can't move or you're, you're just, you don't just, you've got three feet of snow in the driveway, unless there's some extreme circumstances, that's why you're in worship, Right? That's why you're here, right? Because here, this is where God's will is being done on earth, as it is in heaven. It's because this is the judgment on that. And so when the ark is built and the door is being closed, do you want to be on the inside or do you want to be on the outside? This is the verdict on all of that. What's being said here puts all of that to shame. Where are you going to be when that verdict is delivered? Where are you going to be on the day of the Lord? In Sodom or outside of it, where are you going to be found? On the day of the Lord, you want to be in the ark. So you see, this is where God visits. Um, This is where God draws near to us. So So you and I are never left in a position wondering, is he coming or isn't he? When is he coming? When do we have to straighten up? When do we have to get busy? When do we have to get to work? Well, the answer to all these questions, when is he coming? When do we have to get busy? The answer to all those questions is today. Because he's near us today. He's drawing near to us. Uh, So put away your sins and walk in the spirit. Now, throughout these four Sundays of this uh, Advent season this year, I'm going to take four very quick snapshots and look at various things that the Lord does when he visits us. What does he accomplish when he comes to us? What do we receive in his Advent? And what I'd like for us to consider is that when he draws near to us, And when he visits us, sometimes, and when I say sometimes, I also mean often he comes to wrestle with us. And that may sound like a very odd thing to say. What does that mean? He comes to wrestle with us. And and it's odd, yes, that's fine, because we're introduced to this event in an odd way chapter of the Bible, a strange thing that happens, but it's just strange enough to let you know that, oh, this is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God who will do something like this. And it's wonderful. And it's glorious. A few minutes ago, I read to you from Genesis chapter 32, and we have not been studying Jacob's life. And it may be a while since you've studied his life. So we just plopped right down into the middle of his story. And we actually popped into a stream of difficult, worrisome events in the life of Jacob. I'll try to bring you up to speed quickly. At this point, he has just fled from Laban's house with his wife and his children, and he's headed back to the territory of his brother Esau. When he left home 20 years prior to this, he and Esau weren't exactly on speaking terms, as you recall. And now, 20 years later, he's returning home with all of his flocks and his children and his whole household. Now he's coming back and he hears that Esau is headed out to meet him. And Esau is accompanied by 400 fighting men. He comes with an army. Esau comes with a military force. What possibly could be Esau's intention in coming out with this army? What's he after? Jacob has no idea how this is gonna turn out. How's this gonna go? He has just escaped one tyrannical family member and he's gonna land in the lap of another tyrannical family member, he thinks. So Jacob divides his family into two groups so that if they're all uh, attacked, not all of them will be destroyed. If one group is assaulted, the other group might be able to escape. And then having made all the arrangements with nothing to do but wait, Jacob separates. He goes by himself to spend a sleepless night by himself. And, and, and God's word says he was greatly afraid and distressed. He prays there for, for God to deliver him. And you can put it yourself in his position, and you can imagine what was rolling around in his head at this point. He's dreading this confrontation with Esau. You've had confrontations that have kept you awake at night. And he must have been trying to mentally steel himself against the prospect of Esau's revenge and the possibility tomorrow I may lose people I love. Tomorrow my whole life is, is, is bound to change. How can I maybe distract Esau? How can I convince him that maybe we can get along? Maybe we can negotiate and talk things out. But the one thing that Jacob wasn't prepared for as he sits there all alone by himself praying to God, the one thing he doesn't expect and wasn't prepared for was for someone to show up out of nowhere and start doing jujitsu moves on him in the middle of the night. Jacob is distracted all night from his worry and his mental exertion by a man who surprises him with this impromptu wrestling match. And somewhere in the middle of the tussle, in the middle of the wrestling, it dawns on Jacob that he's not wrestling with just anybody. This isn't just some man. He's being visited by God. And he's wrestling with God. And most Bible scholars will point to this and say, this is probably the pre-incarnate Christ. There are a few little glimpses of Jesus before we get to the incarnation. A few glimpses of the second person of the Trinity before the incarnation. And this is one of them. Jesus shows up here to wrestle with Jacob, amazingly, Jacob keeps up the fight all night long. Of course, when God says it's over, it's over. It's kind of like when you wrestle with your son, you arm wrestle with him, and you kind of let him push against your arm, or or you're, you're wrestling physically with him, and you're just you're backing off and you're letting him have his his space. But you know, when you say it's over, it's over, right? You can end it at any time, and that's what God does. He can he can end it at any time. And God says it's over but Jacob still keeps up the fight. And, and then, then God says, as, as if you don't get the clue that this is over, he touches his hip and he dislocates it. He demands Jacob, let go of me. Now Jacob's exhausted and he's in excruciating pain. And Jacob holds on more tightly. He digs in and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God is delighted by all of this. God, he's having a, a time. I mean, this is, this is big fun. This is really good. He's delighted in, in this, and, and he blesses Jacob. He responds to him. He blesses him with a new name. He says, your name is no longer Jacob. You're no longer supplanter. You are Israel. You are the one who wrestles with God, for you have wrestled with God and men and have prevailed. Jacob wrestled with God And won, and God loved it. God loved every minute of it. Now, indeed, as God said, Jacob had been wrestling all along. Jacob had to wrestle with his father. He had to wrestle with his brother. And now he had to wrestle with his father-in-law, fighting and clawing and gouging. And by God's grace, he had prevailed all the way through. Now, as the sun rises and Jacob goes to face his brother Esau, he's limping now on his twisted leg All of his fears are put to rest. When he sees Esau, his brother meets him weeping and they embrace and they kiss and they cry on each other's shoulder. It's all been worked out. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. What's going on here in this advent? This is an advent of the Lord, right? This This is the Lord drawing near to Jacob. What's happening in this visitation? Well, we get a pretty important piece of data. We get the origin of the name of God's people throughout the Old Covenant. From here on, they're known as Israel. And what that means is they're known as the people who wrestle with God. That's what Israel means. Every time you say that, every time you talk about Israel, what are you saying? Oh yeah, those are the people who wrestle. Those are the wrestlers. Those are the people who wrestle with God. They continue to wrestle with God. This this tug of war throughout all the scriptures as God shapes them and sanctifies them. He, he puts them through bondage and testing and sometimes they respond well. And sometimes they respond not so well. But through all of this, God remains faithful to his promises. He brings glory out of their shame. He shows mercy in the midst of their sin. He gives the world his son through this wrestling people, through this house. He gives the world his son. And now, through Jesus, we, the church, are heirs of all the promises that God made to these people. The true Israel are those who are united to the true Israelite. Jesus is the true Israelite. We are in union with him. We are Israel. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. So when you're reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're reading a family story. That's what Paul says. If you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So all of the promises that he has made through and to his people have come to fulfillment in Jesus and now Jesus is yours and you are his and now you are the people who wrestle with God. You are Israel. He wrestles with you. You wrestle with him. Well, okay. What what does that mean? What does it mean that we wrestle with, with him and that he wrestles with us? Well, that means from his side, God isn't content to leave us adrift where we are, just to live out our days happily ever after. Just as he didn't spin the universe into existence and walk away, so he doesn't spin your life into existence and walk away. He keeps himself close to us by challenging us, by pushing us. He gives us complicated situations to figure out. He stretches us and puts us in situations we never thought we could handle. He gives us things we never thought we could live through. If you asked us, no, I wouldn't wouldn't live. I wouldn't survive that. We said, okay, well, I'm going to give it to you anyway, and we'll see how that goes. He is gracious, and he is kind, but his grace and his mercy and his blessings come in all kinds of forms that we would never expect, and it comes. his grace comes in all kinds of ways that we would never ask for. For example, Jacob, full of distress, and despair, full of worry about what's going to happen with his brother the next day, might have expected the Lord to come to him and you know, kind of pat him on the back, kind of rub his shoulders a little bit. Hey, Jacob, you know, it's going to be OK, buddy. It's going to be all right. You know, buck up. Let's go. It's going to be fine. He might have expected a little pep talk. He might have expected some comforting words. Instead, here comes the Lord off the top rope with a flying, you know, leg kick to his head. That's the way, I know some of you watch wrestling, right? Here he comes like Jimmy's Superfly Snooka, right? Not enough of you get that reference, and we'll have to amend that. Here, this is what he gets. That's what he gets, because Jacob uh, needed this. God knew that what Jacob needed most in that moment, what you need most, is to wrestle all night. You don't need comforting words. You don't need a pat on the back. What you need is to wrestle. That's what you have to have. And if you're in Jacob's spot, you say, wow, Lord, that's bad timing. I didn't need this right now. This is not what I was praying for. But by morning light, Jacob finds out that's exactly what he needed. That is precisely what the doctor called for. You see, we get things that we don't like, and we despise God's gifts because, uh, you know, we're ungrateful because we don't get what we ask for. We get what we need. Expect that in God's wrestling with you, he's going to give you sometimes the opposite of what you ask for, but he's always going to give you what you need, and it's going to be the best thing in the world for you. Be thankful that he wrestles with you this way. And then, as if to add insult to injury, before it's all over with, Jacob's leg is pulled out of joint, and he's left with a permanent disability. If he wasn't defenseless and if he wasn't exposed before, he certainly is now. Now he's going to have to limp up to Esau. There's no way that he can appear strong and healthy and and as some kind of threat when he goes limping up to Esau. God lamed him so that from now on everyone would know that God fights his battles for him, so that he would know that it is God fighting his battles. And then the generations that follow him, the children of Israel, they're always going to limp throughout their history. They never have the biggest army. They never have the best weapons. They never have the most brilliant strategy on the battlefield. They never have the most advanced training and tactics. That's not the point. God fights their battles for them. They limp to victory. They are the seed with the bruised heel who crush the head of the serpent. And so, because the church is Israel, this is true of us also. We are always limping, limping to victory. You you, you think it's... Easy to, um, let me think how to to put this. You know why it's so easy to find things in the church you can criticize? It is easy to find stuff you can criticize. It is easy to find people to criticize. It is so easy to find things you don't like, not only in one congregation, but just look at the whole scope of the church. Look at the body of Christ and have how much time we got today, and we can find things we can criticize, and things that we can point out that we don't like. Things that rub us the wrong way. Things we wouldn't do that way. You know why it's so easy to criticize? Because we're limping. We are limping. We are the the nation, the people who limp to victory. And God designed it that way. So expect that God in his wrestling with you, he's not only going to give you unexpected things, but he's going to take things away from you that are going to make you more useful to him. He took away Jacob's easy, comfortable gait. And that made Jacob more useful to him and made his people more useful to him. So not only is he going to give us things we didn't ask for, but he may take away something that we think we need, but we're stronger without it in his wrestling with us. And in the end, the big consequence of God's wrestling with Jacob was that Jacob had a new name, which gave him a new perspective. It gave him a new personality. No longer is he only Jacob. You know, supplanter the one who has to fight and claw and gouge with men to get what's coming to him. That's not, that's not his name anymore. He is Israel. He now wrestles with God. You see, that's where our real warfare is fought, after all, in prayer, in supplication, in psalms, in interacting with God, and then not only wrestling with God, but wrestling alongside of God against his spiritual enemies. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians? What does he say? We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, right? That's not where the real fight is. God's wrestling with Jacob resulted in a complete paradigm shift so that now for Jacob, nothing ever looks the same as it did before. A complete new perspective and outlook on the world is given to Jacob. So expect that in God's wrestling with you, you're going to grow to understand things in a new light and see things in ways that you've never seen them before. Your eyes are open. Your understanding is being enlightened by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So in this Advent, when we think about all the ways that God has drawn near to us in the person of Jesus, how he comes to us, include in your thoughts about that the very real factor that one of the ways he comes to us is to wrestle with us. He comes sometimes picking a fight. He comes to wrestle with you. So why is life tough? Why do we have So many disappointments? Why do we have strained relationships? Why doesn't God just make it all go away? You see, He owns everything, right? He owns every molecule of the cosmos. He could engineer things in such a way that you could wake up tomorrow with such unbelievable wealth that you would never have another financial worry again. And if that goes away, then you're really set. If you don't worry about money, right, you're, you're set, right? Oh, no, not really, but that's our, that's our assumption, right? Well, why doesn't he do that for you? Why doesn't he just why doesn't he just clear all that up for you? Why does he instead sometimes twist your leg? Why does he impair you and make things more difficult for you instead of easier? Because that's what's good for you. That's exactly what's good for you. And you pray, Lord, isn't there another way? Can't you make this pain stop? Can't you make this go away? Just take all this frustration. Just remove it from me. And God might answer, yes, I I could. But I'm I'm not going to. Jesus prayed to the father in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus prayed with infinitely more anguish and distress than Jacob had on the night before he met Cain. I'm sorry, Esau. Jacob uh, Jacob experienced uh, frustration and, and anguish on the eve of meeting Esau. Jesus experienced infinitely more anguish on the, on the eve of, of his crucifixion. And Jesus asked, is there another way? Can you take away this cup? Can you make it all go away? And the answer comes up when the guards show up to arrest him. And God says, God the Father says, no, I'm, I'm sorry, there's not another way. You have to do this. And so you know that God is not gonna leave you alone in your desperate hour, in your, in your time of doubt, when your faith is under attack, when you have your greatest fears circling around in your head. He's not going to abandon you there to go through all of that by yourself. But the answers he gives may not be the answers you expect. You need to be ready for that. You need to be ready to pray prayers that are not answered exactly the way you want them answered and still believe and still trust in him. You need to be ready to pray prayers that just ain't going to turn out like you want them to and still rejoice in him. The Lord Jesus is your greatest friend, but sometimes when he shows up, he looks like your opponent. He looks like he's against us because he wants you to wrestle. So I charge you, I exhort you to wrestle. Don't wimp out. Don't tap out. Wrestle. Ask him for what you need. Ask him your questions. Lay out all of your doubts, your skepticism. Keep on asking, like the Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't leave Jesus alone. And she sparred with him and said, please bless my daughter. He said, I didn't come for you. She said, please bless my daughter. And he said, I came to feed the children, not the dogs. And she said, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And Jesus rejoices, absolutely. That's, that's faith. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to wrestle. I'm looking for you to spar with me. Keep wrestling, grab hold, and don't give up. Don't turn loose until you... He blesses you. He wants you to wrestle, and he loves that, and he loves to bless that kind of faith. He will quite possibly, in the end, bless you with a new perspective, a new identity, a complete new outlook on the world through that. And that's what we all want, right? We want to keep growing. When's the last time you had one of those big threshold moments of growth in the Lord Jesus, where everything after is nothing like anything that came before? And now you see, wow, I mean, all of this is just so clear to me now. When's the last time that happened? Why, why haven't you been wrestling? Why haven't you been working on that? So get in the ring. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he comes to wrestle. Be prepared for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for all the ways he comes to us. We rejoice in that he has drawn near to us today. And so, Father, we see this as the call that it is, the challenge to bring before you our prayers, our doubts, our worries, our fears, our supplications, we ask that you would heal us by your Holy Spirit, strengthen us by this wrestling, and grow us in in truth and in knowledge of your way and your law. So Father, we ask for all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.